Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today, we're talking to Todd Huntley, Director of National Security Law Program and lecturer at Georgetown University Center. Todd, how are you doing? Great. It's great to, to chat with you again, Tom. It's been a while, but uh, always, always great to reconnect. People can't see how far you come from the JAG Corps sporting a full beard. I stopped shaving the week before Thanksgiving and didn't shave again until mid-May. So it was quite a bit longer two months ago. Before we get to the road to Georgetown, tell us a little bit about your background. I had a pretty unique or uh, maybe bizarre career path. I enlisted in the Air Force right after high school uh, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Went to Germany, was stationed at Rhein-Main Air Base from 1985 to 1988. We had a terrorist car bombing by the Red Army Faction. I think it was my second week there at the base. Several other uh, bombings while I was there, so it was a, it was an interesting three years, tail end of the Cold War, but uh, it was a great experience, and I, I realized I wanted to go to college. I had started taking classes through University of Maryland uh, in my off-duty time there, left active duty, came back to Cincinnati, and started attending uh, University of Cincinnati, initially majored in biology with thoughts of going into medical school. And my lack of math ability quickly caught up with me. So I switched to international relations as a major. Finished my undergrad, thought I was going to go back in the Air Force as an officer. The only job they said they had open was missile control officer. I did not want to sit in a bunker in Montana or South or North Dakota. In the meantime, I had, I, I kind of missed the military. So I enlisted in the Ohio Army National Guard while I was doing my undergraduate studies. I was, I was already married and had a child. So uh, it was a good way to make a little extra money. When I went to the National Guard recruiter, they said, well, you were security forces in the Air Force. So that means you can either be a military police or infantry. I chose poorly. I went infantry. As you can imagine, tail end of the Cold War, uh, not a lot uh, exciting happening and not even a lot of training going on. So I ended up switching over to the Army Reserves in a psychological operations unit, uh, which was a lot more interesting. Uh, I actually got to go back to Germany for several exercises. After I had my wake-up call with the Air Force officer recruiter and had to find a job, so I actually sold cars for two years. And then I went, you know, started law school because I had run into a former uh, classmate from undergrad who was kind of a year ahead of me in the process and told me, go take the LSAT. There's no math on it. Did that, applied to University of Cincinnati Law School, the only school I applied to and started there. And so I... Uh, you know, continued serving in the Army Reserves and, and going to law school. So when did you jump into the Navy? Just happened to have a, a law professor. My crim law professor had been Marine Corps judge advocate. Got me motivated to go back in as a, as a JAG. Of course, he uh, busted my chops about not going Marines, but uh, sure. I figured... Uh, you know, I tried the Air Force and the Army, so I'll, I'll go Navy this time. And so applied uh, largely 
to the Navy because they were the only service that would accept applications after your first year of law school. Mm-hmm. The other services you had to wait to your um, after your second year was accepted, accepted the commission, swore in and graduated uh, law school in May of 1996 and then went to NJS in January of 1997. Going through your uh, LinkedIn profile here. So you started out as a prosecutor, had a double homicide case. Yeah. Uh, Dill's your first teaching evolution in the Navy? It was uh, as an assignment, but when I was the officer in charge of the TSO detachment in Sigonella, I started teaching some of the University of Maryland classes in the evening. And so I taught crim law, crim pro, really enjoyed it. So then when I was offered the opportunity to go to Dills, I thought I'll get to teach. I'll have the international relations uh, aspect of my, uh, my undergrad just kind of combined a lot of my interests. And so I I jumped on it. You got into special operations uh, line of work? I did. So the person I replaced at Dills, uh, Sandy Hodgkinson, she was leaving active duty in February. So it was kind of an off-cycle move. It was kind of a short notice move. The detailer needed to fill it. So I went there because of the odd timing. You know, I'd been there about a year and a half and called the detailer and said, hey, I'd like to roll early next summer, because that's really the two and a half year point for me. And I was told, nope, you have to stay the full three years, which means three and a half years. For those who are familiar with Dills, I was on the road probably 50 to 60% of my time. I was very rarely home. By that time, I had four kids. It wasn't doing a lot for uh, for family life. I think I put down, I forget uh, you know what jobs I put down, uh, one and two, but then I put down SOCOM, Special Operations Command uh, in Tampa, and Fifth Fleet. I got a call and was told that I was going to Fifth Fleet and that it was going to be a one-year unaccompanied position. I didn't think my family could handle that after being gone for three and a half years. Luckily enough, uh, it was changed at the last minute, and I got to go to Tampa to SOCOM headquarters. This is 2005, so they finally expanding the size of their legal office after 9-11. You know, before I arrived there, we had one Navy JAG on staff. The SJA at the time was Dana Chipman, who later became the Army Judge Advocate General. And he placed me, you know, he said, okay, you're going to have the cyber and information operations portfolio. That you know, primarily involves uh, advising this new sub-element at the headquarters called the joint PSYOP support element. Gained a lot of experience. Got to deploy to Afghanistan three months in 2006 to advise the uh, task force there. You know, it kind of opened my eyes to a new area of practice, national security sure. law. You did, it looks like five years in total down in the Tampa area. I uh, did, right. So I had a one-year break when I got to go do my LLM and, and then came back right back to Tampa, which was great. My family had stayed down there while I went to Boston. Another great tour, challenging tour, because again, I was uh, deployed most of the time. Uh, it was just uh, you know, a great experience being the SJA to a two-star, really working some difficult and, and sensitive issues. So then I see that August 2011 up to the Office of the Judge Advocate General doing one of those mandatory staff tours. And it was about this time, I think, we were interacting at the Naval War College and I remember having conversations that you were starting to look towards the door. I don't know if that was then or when you went to Special Operations Command National Capital Region. But when did you start leaning to get out? As I understand, you sort of by accident got to stay additional time. Exactly. So 
like you mentioned, I went to, I think it was then code 63, now 67. Uh, I had the courtroom security portfolio uh, for a year. And again, you know, with their dragging and, and screaming, you know, one of those things I really didn't want to do, but in the end was good for me. And knew that probably because of my very unusual career path and having served back-to-back tours in the special operations community, that I probably wouldn't promote to 06. It's just kind of what I was uh, gaming out. Some senior officers reviewed my record and said, hey, listen, you've done all you can do. So we'll, you know, we'll see. You don't have the types of tours, but, uh, you know, who knows? And then, you know, there was a by name request to go fill a slot uh, with Special Operations Command in D.C. at the time. Uh, then Admiral McRaven was the was the commander. He was trying to expand the SOCOM presence in the D.C. area, and they wanted a JAG up there to kind of help work those issues. So I did that for two years, got to deploy to Afghanistan again for four months with the task force. And so at that point, I really thought I was not going to promote. And so I think right about the end of that second year at SOCOM in the National Capital Region, my board met. I had applied for some jobs. I had gone on a couple of interviews. In fact, I I had several interviews. I had interviewed for different assistant U.S. attorney positions, mostly kind of in the the mid-Atlantic region, Virginia, eastern Kentucky, and uh, totally bombed my first couple of interviews, uh, interviewed with the U.S. attorney's office in in D.C., was very thankful that uh, those jobs weren't ones I was really excited about since Mm -hmm. I just totally bombed the interviews. So kind of a Lesson learned, make sure you have a few interviews under your belt before you are going for your dream job. And I had a, an interview to be a team leader at the Department of Justice Counterterrorism section that went well, but uh, ended up not ending up there. And about the same time, then found out that I was selected for 06. About this, at the same time that I was transferred over to Code 10 uh, to be one of the action officers at Code 10. While you were at, uh, at SOCOM National Capital job, you were also, you got on with Georgetown at that point. I did. So I had started teaching uh, as an adjunct professor. I'd had, in fact, the, the Air Force JAG, who was with me at Dills, had been teaching there. He was teaching a counterterrorism law and policy class. He wanted to take a break. So he asked if I would fill in for a year. I did. And then he ended up not wanting to come back. He enjoyed the extra time off. And so I ended up teaching at Georgetown for four years while I was both at my last year at National Capital Region and then my three years over at Code 10. Yeah, and I think it was about this time that I don't, I can't remember where we had the conversation, but you were thinking it was the end of the road. Yeah, again, I was, I was surprised that I had made 06 when, like I said, it kind of coincided, you know, the results were released about the same time I had moved over to Code 10 from the uh, NCR. Again, I thought, you know, okay, looking ahead at my Navy career, I was very interested in potentially staying on in, you know, operational national security jobs, because I think most of us who practice in the national security area, kind of our, you know, the penultimate national security job is to be the SJA and a combatant command. Sure. And so the, I, I would have loved to have done, but obviously you need to check some boxes before you're competitive for those jobs. And so I realized that. I was not going to have those opportunities, that I was not going to be given those jobs that I needed to be competitive. I wanted to stay in the national security 
area and I knew I wanted to teach. So I started looking for a teaching job. For anyone who's familiar with the law school academic market, it is very difficult, mm -hmm. uh, especially at that time, uh, law schools, the, the number of law student applicants had dropped off drastically. Hiring had slowed dramatically. It was very tough to get in. And especially if you didn't have, you know, much like the Navy and being competitive for certain jobs, you need to have certain experiences, much the same with the academic market. But I did end up getting one off, and that was to go teach at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia. And I thought, man, what a great, great opportunity. Did you really have an idea what you wanted to do at that point? Or was it, hey, I just need to start looking? It was, I need to start looking and I want to continue working in some area related to national security. And so that's why I was looking at DOJ, jobs kind of in that area. To go back to the beginning of my career, my first two tours, I, I was a trial counsel. And I absolutely love being in the courtroom. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could combine both those interests, right? If I go to DOJ. I think that this is the nub, right? This is why I'm, I'm going out and interviewing people is we've all had jobs we like. We like certain aspects of it. And now we're taking off the uniform, looking at what, and we want to take those things what we enjoyed, but we really can't put our finger on what exactly we want to do. Now, the first time, were you thinking about teaching or was that one of many? I was thinking about teaching. I had gone through the academic market and had no bites, no interviews, nothing. A lot of it was because, you know, I hadn't, I had only one article that had been published. And so, you know, kind of in the interim period, I got a few more articles published, but it, because I knew that I would need more than just one if I was mm -hmm. going to. And so kind of, was still kind of thinking that teaching is what I really wanted to do. I was preparing for a backup and thought, well, a backup will be you know, some other job in the national security area. As you looked at the teaching angle, one concern that we all have to consider is the compensation. I heard academia can be quite brutal. So what was your mindset regarding compensation, teaching, and, and maintaining your quality of life? I didn't want to take a pay cut. <laughs> um, and so what I essentially did was tried to figure out what I would need combined with my military retirement and the subsequent tax implications of retirement. What would I need to make to make up that difference? Obviously, if I went into federal service where you, know, you get a GS-15 type job at DOJ, I'd be okay. On the academic side, it wasn't a guarantee. The job in Deakin, again, I would have probably taking a bit of a pay cut mm -hmm. uh, to go there, but I was thinking about it and, and hoping I could make it work somehow. And thankfully, I've been able to do that. So then you end up at the, the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School at the Army out in Charlottesville. And I remember having this conversation while you were there, you end up teaching at Georgetown. When you started teaching there, was it with the idea that you'd become what you are now, or was it an adjunct job again? To go back a little bit, when I was thinking about retiring out of Code 10, and I had the job offer at Deakin, I had become pretty close with one of the uh, longtime tenured professors at Georgetown who had become a mentor uh, to me. And we were talking about my career plans, you know, what I hope to do. And he said, I, you know, geez, I, I really wish we could just keep you here. And so, you know, before... I even had the offer from Deakin or the offer from the JAG Corps to stay in and go to Charlottesville. 
we were talking, you know, myself and kind of the directors of the National Security Law Program at, at Georgetown were discussing me potentially coming on as a contract, like visiting professor from practice. This would have been like October of 2016. Of course, in the meantime, then the election happens. Mm-hmm. Then candidate Trump is elected president. And everyone realizes, including the dean and senior people at the law school, that there are going to be a lot of senior people leaving the administration, looking for places to land. Why do we need this lowly Navy JAG captain? Sure, we can get point. a deputy attorney general. And so that fell through. And so I had always kind of hoped to end up there at Georgetown. It just didn't work out kind of the first time around. And in something you know, more than just an adjunct position. And so then, you know, I got the offer to go teach at Deakin and then just happened to run into Admiral Hannock, who, you know, asked me about my plans. And then as soon as I got back to the office, got a call from the detailer asking me if I'd be interested in going to Charlottesville, which is kind of a funny story, because as my wife and I were discussing retirement, we asked each other if we could pick one place to retire to, where would it be? And we both said Charlottesville. And I said, well, you know, really, for what I want to do, the only school there is University of Virginia. I'll never get a job at University of Virginia. So that's a nice dream. And then the opportunity comes to, you know, spend another three years on active duty and come down here. And, sure. and so he jumped on it. You're at the JAG school there in Legal Center, and but you still haven't told us how you ended up back at, at Georgetown. So a couple of years removed from the election and all of a sudden these guys have moved on or what? You know, I was coming into my kind of last year at Charlottesville. So this would have been late summer of 19. I didn't have a job. So I thought, well, I better at least, you know, keep my options open and throw my name back into the detailing ring and see, you know, what might happen, uh, what job I might get. You know, I asked, I think I asked to go to NDU. I asked to extend at Charlottesville. That was my first choice. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, started applying for other jobs. And so I applied for a civilian attorney position at the National Ground Intelligence Center you know, which is just north of Charlottesville. Sure. So, uh, you know, an army intel unit. And then just out of the blue, I received an email from somebody at Georgetown saying, hey, we're hiring for this position. You should apply. Ended up applying, uh, interviewing. And then in the interim period between applying and interviewing, they had another position open. And so during the interview, Professor Donahue, who's the director of the National Security Law Center and Program, and who I knew very well because I had assisted with the national security simulation. So I had interacted with her a lot. And then, of course, the, my mentor there at Georgetown, I, he was one of them that interviewed me. So I knew everybody. They were comfortable with me. I was comfortable with them uh, and got a job offer. And then I had to make that decision, right? Do I take a job that's closer to home? Because we, we bought a magnificent piece of property here in the south of Charlottesville that we don't want to leave. So do I take a job that maybe professionally isn't quite as interesting, but keeps me in the Charlottesville area? Or do I take the job doing what I have known for several years I really want to do, but will either require the family to move or me to kind of do that, you know, geo-batch roadrunner back and forth from Charlottesville to D.C.? And you had, when you were interviewing, you hadn't put in your papers yet, had you? I had not put in my papers, got the job offer, talked to several people, you know, mentors, both in academia and the military. They all said, take the Georgetown job. That's where your heart is. You'll work out the living arrangements. Take that. 
you know, I called the detailer and asked her how soon I could retire. So this was probably September, October timeframe, said probably sometime after the first of the year, right? So you could start terminal leave after the first of the year and retire probably March time. This is a key issue right here. And I just actually sent an email to the detailer today. They always put out the policy. Well, if you're, if you're rotating at, if you're retiring at your PRD six months, if it's not at the same time as your projected rotation date, nine to 12 months, but you always, always hear the stories that people that were able to get out the door rather expeditiously. Part of it is luck because of where I was, right? I wasn't the sole legal advisor to a, you know, to a flag officer. I wasn't on a, you know, high op tempo operational staff. We could figure out ways to backfill me. Uh, And that was really the number one question would be, you know, or was, would the JAG Corps or would the JAG school in Charlottesville accept a gap of, you know, several months? Sure. And so really what it ended up coming down to was um, negotiating and working out a plan with the leadership of the Army JAG school, the detailer, and Georgetown that let me kind of leave at the time and in a way that no one would kind of be left totally in the lurch. It ended up being all screwed up by COVID because uh, as my one March retirement date approached, my paperwork hadn't been done yet. Uh, It wasn't finished quite yet. I extended it by a couple of months and that didn't do much good. So, you know, what was going to originally be a one March 2020 retirement date ended up being pushed back to one September 20. Since I everybody was working from home, I was able to continue teaching at the JAG school, didn't have to worry about driving back and forth to DC. This all came about because your colleague asked for a year off as an adjunct professor at Georgetown. And this yep. got that snowball rolling downhill and I know that when you took it, it was just the opportunity to teach, maybe make it a little bit extra cash, but do something that you like. And now here you are at your dream job what you, that you eventually became that you wanted to do. Um, yes. So it has, you know, opportunity, networking, all the things that they beat into your head. Sounds like it started well before you even planned to start thinking about transitioning out of the Navy. Oh, Definitely. I guess also while I started teaching as an adjunct, I had had enough kind of prior teaching experience that I knew I was interested in this, but I certainly didn't go in thinking, oh, I've got my foot in the door and this is it now, right? So, you know, I continued, um, you know, writing and trying to get published. I continued uh, networking and helping out with different projects at Georgetown as well as other places. So again, I could try to, one, stay current on the issues, two, improve, you know, my writing and my teaching, and three, make those connections. Sure. Because it, I think every job, it's not so much networking to, um, you know, to try to kind of suck up and, and uh, it's, it's more about how do you match up opportunities and openings with people who are interested and have experience in those areas. Yeah. And usually that happens because, you know, two people get together, they're talking and one of them might say, Hey, we have an opening in this area. And the other person says, I know just the person. This is really kind of drives home. So, you know, we all get to a part where 
we know there's a window that, okay, I may go to 30, I may go to whatever, but there's a window and you got to be ready to jump through that window. And, you know, one of the things that, again, concerns is, well, it's going to be so hard to get out of the Navy because it's going to take nine, 12, whatever months. I guess the lesson I'm taking away from this is, is if you get to this point where this starts looking like a real possibility and it is your dream job, you need to start pushing it. You need to at least try. You didn't burn any bridge. You worked it three ways here. But at some point, you know, we all know that the detailer is not going to be looking out for that first civilian job. They've got, they've got a function of keeping the Navy going that you really owe it to yourself to push it. Yes. It kind of, I think I have two main lessons out of, you know, that I take away from my ex- experience. One is you may love the Navy, but the Navy doesn't necessarily love you. The corollary to the, uh, you know, to what's drilled into our, uh, into us from day one at Naval Justice School, you have to take after your own career and look after your own career because nobody else will. And then the other one is, I think, if you're asking them to make some exception for you, come to them with solutions, not just a problem, right? Don't just come and say, I've got this job, I need to get out on this date. You're, you've got an opportunity. You need to keep working for that. And if that means maybe trying to work with them to reach some solution and some compromise, then do it, right? It's, uh, it's really on you. It's not up to the detailer, the commander, anybody to, to do that. Hopefully they will work with you, but don't just expect them to come up with the answer. Todd, I'm going to end this right there because I, I'm looking at the clock. I've got some editing to do to shorten this down. A great story and a lot of great information to be derived there. So thanks for your time. It's great talking with you, Tom. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.